You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another thrilling edition of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am your Sith Lord, Darth Amin, joined as always by my apprentice, Darth Puzzle, a.k.a. Anthony Mays. And this is the podcast where we talk all things Star Wars. We review shows, we go about the happenings. Disturbances in the Force. Yes, I feel it. There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? We're going to review episode seven of The Mandalorian. Spoiler alert. I'm back in, baby. Just in time. The penultimate. Very entertaining episode of The Mandalorian. Some might say this is what the whole season should have been like, but I digress. I mean, it reminds me a lot of when The Walking Dead was starting to run out of steam. I want to say season four, season five, and there'd be long lulls with very small, quiet episodes, and then they'd give you an absolute banger and remind you what the show is capable of. Right. And that's what happened here. It's like, oh, they can do all this stuff, and they just did it in this episode. Pretty much. I keep going back to take these action-packed episodes, split them up, add filler to the episode, but add substance to it as well as opposed to the complete diversions. But we'll get to that in a second. We got to start with the big news, Maze. The huge news. The Star Wars Celebration recap from last week. If you don't know what Star Wars Celebration is, you've heard of like San Diego Comic-Con, and everyone loves San Diego Comic-Con, and that's where the movie studios reveal all their new projects that are coming out and stuff. Now imagine that if it were just about Star Wars. That's what Star Wars Celebration is. It moves from city to city. I've had the privilege of going to three Star Wars celebrations in my life. This year it was in London, so I couldn't make it out there. Hopefully they'll bring it back stateside again, and I will get out there because it really is like nothing you've ever seen. If you love Star Wars, you really love Star Wars. It's quite the experience. I've gone every time I go, I go by myself. I don't bring friends or family because I just want the freedom to bounce from panel room to panel room. And some of the panels are big where they announce new shows, and I'll have the cast out there. And some of them are stuff like I once sat in a panel maze about Star Wars tourism, how to go to different places that have been set locations for Star Wars. They take you to Tunisia to go see Tatooine, and they take you to Norway to see Hoth and things like that. There's an actual like, travel agency that can hook all of this up for you. If you love Star Wars like me, it is really an interesting place to dive deep. But for the purposes of this conversation, we'll get into the details of what was announced, all right? So the big thing, I guess we'd start with Maze, is the Ahsoka trailer. Yeah, ask and you shall receive. We said literally last week, an hour after our Rule of Two episode aired, the Ahsoka trailer hit YouTube and the internet. And they also announced a release date, or at least a release month, which is August of this year. By the way, there are two trailers. I don't know if you know that. No, I just saw, I believe, the one, the teaser trailer. That's the one they showed us. Okay. They showed the folks in the hall Mm. at Sorrow Celebration a longer version. And in the longer version, you get the full frontal face view of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Nice. Played by Lars Mikkelsen, as has been... Both rumored to be and also because Lars Mikkelsen voiced 
thrown on the animated series. Mm-hmm. We always applaud when they can get the voice actors some work as the live action, as we saw with Katie Sackhoff playing Bo-Katan Kreese. Lars Mikkelsen is, of course, Mads Mikkelsen's brother, and Mads Mikkelsen played Galen Urso in Rogue One, and that is not the only brother connection we will be talking about today, I mean. Yes, there's more. So we see Ahsoka. We see Sabine Wren, who's let her hair grow out. Sabine is played by Natasha Lou Bordizo. She's new, so she didn't do the voice. Harrison Dula's in it. She's not played by Vanessa Marshall. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who you might remember from One Cloverfield Lane and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. We see Chopper, who's played by Chopper. Uh huh. We see Ezra Bridger as a hologram. Not quite clear. So I guess I should stop and tell people, because there are people who know the Ahsoka character from The Mandalorian and from Book of Boba Fett, but who are all these other people? All right, so. There was an animated show that Lucasfilm came out with called Star Wars Rebels after Clone Wars was over, and it takes place maybe like five years before the Battle of Yavin, so before the events of Star Wars A New Hope. It shows us the beginnings of the rebellion in the same way that Andor did from a different perspective, right? Andor was more about regular men and women who come together and form this rebellion against the Empire. Star Wars Rebels follows a Force-sensitive young Jedi in training named Ezra Bridger. And he lives on this planet called Lothal, which is on the Outer Rim. It's deserted like Jakku and like Tatooine and Navarro and a lot of these other planets that Star Wars loves to center its storytelling around. And the kid is discovered by a Jedi in hiding named Kanan Jarrus. Kanan Jarrus was a Padawan during Order 66. If you watch the Bad Batch series, episode one starts with Order 66 them getting the order and they have to kill this child Jedi and Hunter eventually lets him go. That little child, his name is Caleb Doom. He grows up to change his name to Kanan Jarrus and he's living in hiding. And then he comes across this kid who's very force sensitive named Ezra Bridger. This kid in another life would have been taken to the Jedi temple and trained and turned into a Jedi. Kanan is dating, even though they don't explicitly say it for like four seasons, but he's pretty much dating Harrison Dula who is this Twi'lek pilot. She's one of the best pilots anywhere. So he discovers this kid and he's like, yo, I have to train him. But also we have to do this in hiding because we can't let it be known that we're Jedi because obviously Jedi are be hunted. As part of their group, they have two more members. Sabine Wren, who's a Mandalorian, who used to be in the Imperial cadet program and then defected. And... Zeb Aurelios, who is a Lasat. And we saw him two episodes ago in The Mandalorian. He's at the bar with Carson Tiva. That's Zeb Aurelios. And so the five of these people, along with their astromech chopper, the first season, they're kind of just flying around and being pains in the ass of the Empire. The second season, they link up with Ahsoka, who is going under the codename Fulcrum, And they end up landing on the Empire's radar as more than just a nuisance on Lothal. Like, this is part of a bigger insurgency. The second season finale, to me, is one of the greatest episodes in all of Star Wars television. Obviously, there are a lot of spoilers in this little summary I'm giving you. I I urge you all to watch it, but, you know, I'll give you the quick notes, cliff notes here. Kanan Jarrus gets blinded and Ahsoka gets killed. We have Inquisitors who are, we saw in the Obi-Wan series, hunting them down, and Darth Maul is revealed to be still alive after all of these years. The series ends with Kanan Jarrus, who, by the way, is voiced by Freddie Prince Jr., is killed in an explosion, and Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is the main villain in the last couple of seasons, are taken to another dimension. We don't know. They disappear. By the Pergil, which we glimpsed in the first episode of this season in Mando. Those space whales that jump in hyperspace that's literally how hyperspace was discovered in star wars was from studying these animals these purgle ezra using his power of the force to communicate with animals gets the star destroyer that him and thrawn are on to teleport into nothingness 
or so we think, because of course in Mandalorian, we see Ahsoka interrogate this magistrate saying, where's your boss? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? So we know Thrawn is alive and active somewhere. That's Morgan Elizabeth, and she is also in the trailer. We know from the end of Rebels, from Mandalorian, and from Book of Boba Fett that Ahsoka is on this mission to find Thrawn, and we believe to also find Ezra. Well, the trailer for the Ahsoka series makes it pretty clear Thrawn is a threat, and of course Mandalorian also tells us that he is now an active threat. Yeah, look at that timing, I mean. Yep. Well done. In the trailer, there's also Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull, who's got a sweet orangish red lightsaber, and he's a former Jedi who survived Order 66. He's got an apprentice, so we've got some lightsaber action. Genevieve O'Reilly is back as Mon Mothma. It was a great trailer, I gotta admit. I'm very excited for this. We have a little bit of details, I guess, coming out of Star Wars Celebration that they're both Jedi that survived Order 66, but they're also dark Jedi, which are Jedi that use the dark side of the Force and don't necessarily adhere to the Jedi Code. That's why the lightsaber isn't all the way red, I mean. Yes. It's orange red, okay? They're not Sith. They're not Sith. They're not Sith. No rule of two action. Even though there are two of them, it's not the rule of two. Okay, settle down. You got those as kind of the primary villains. We got Thrawn in there as well. We have at least a holograph of of Ezra Bridger. Is that a memory? Is she looking through a photo album? Is she talking to him? We don't know. Yeah, and the timeline will be presumably pretty wide. Oh, yes. Because there's also... A young Ahsoka, we're allegedly going to have Hayden Christensen returning as Anakin. So it could cover a lot of territory here. We should mention that. So earlier I said Ahsoka was murdered at the end of season two. And you're like, I mean, but Ahsoka's walking around and clearly she has her own show. Bill Noir. Bill Noir indeed. So in season four of Rebels, Ezra Bridger discovers in an old Jedi temple this concept of the world between worlds. This interdimensional portal. The best way I can describe it to you is imagine being at Grand Central Station or Penn Station in New York. You're on a train and that train is your timeline, right? And then you get to the station and you come out on the platform and there are literally all these other trains. But instead of going to different destinations, they are literally different timelines. And you can pop in from any one of those. This thing is incredibly hard to unlock. Palpatine couldn't unlock it. And he tried to trick Ezra in pulling him in there because he knew once you get in there, you can jump to any moment in time and change events. And so that's what Ezra did. He's walking through this world between worlds and sees through one of the portals the scene where Vader is about to murder Ahsoka. And I was there at Star Wars Celebration when they announced the last season of Rebels. Dave Filoni was wearing a shirt that said, Ahsoka lives, question mark. And then they showed us the trailer for the last season. And when the trail is over, his shirt just said Ahsoka lifts. The question mark was gone. (gasps) Ezra pulls her into the portal, into the world between worlds, thus saving her from being murdered. And that's how she continues on in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, now in her own show. I mean, your train station analogy was okay, but I'd rather everybody just pick up a piece of paper fold it in half and then poke <laughs> a pen through it that's a much cleaner analogy for what happened uh, some uneducated people might say oh kind of like interstellar no but what movie revealed that maze tell the people event horizon that's right now is did anyone do any sort of well, i don't know podcast recapping something like that maybe featuring a great comedy writer like uh oh i don't know pockets graham episode number 174 of Cinephobe Event Horizon. Check it out wherever you get podcasts. That's like a crash course in how Ahsoka's alive and all these characters. The reason why I went into detail about the world between worlds is because that scene where she's fighting against this dark Jedi character played by Ray Stevenson looks like the world between worlds maze. Mm. If you look in the background, the sky has those lines and those dots that looks like that. I imagine that there might be some sort of part of this story that's being told in that space where someone is trying to get access to it to make changes. Any other news droplets that came out of Star Wars Celebration? The really big one beyond Ahsoka 
is the announcement of three new Star Wars movies. Mm. Remember when they used to make movies? I mean, those are the days. Well, those days are back, Maze, but more on that in a little bit because I, I did some digging. I did some of my own research. Okay. All right. And it's not as lovely and optimistic as everyone might think. But okay, let's give you the Disney version. The Disney version is three new movies are coming out and they take place in three different time periods. Not the first movie in terms of release date, but the first movie in terms of the chronology of Star Wars will be a movie about the dawn of the Jedi, how the Jedi Order first started, the very first humans who learned about the Force and learned about being Force-sensitive. So this takes place 10,000 years before the Skywalker saga. All new characters, people you've never seen or heard of before, and it's going to be directed by James Mangold, who did Logan, Ford vs. Ferrari, and the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The second movie, in terms of Star Wars chronology, is going to be directed by none other than Dave Filoni. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. He went from doing cartoons to doing live-action TV to now getting his first live-action feature film. And it's going to be... What's been described as an MCU-like Avengers Endgame mm. intersecting all the storylines of the New Republic that have been happening. The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka. All of these storylines are going to converge into one big Star Wars movie, and we expect Thrawn to be the Thanos of this movie. Mm -hmm. And then the third movie in the chronology is a ray from the sequel trilogy centric movie. It happens 15 years after rise of Skywalker and it follows Ray as she's trying to rebuild the Jedi order. Once again, Poe Dameron is in the story and they're trying to get Finn in the story. Don't know if he's going to comply, but there it is. Those are your three movies. Everyone's very excited. Star Wars movies are back. And the Ray movie is being written by Stephen Knight, who created Peaky Blinders and SAS Rogue Heroes. He's a pretty great screenwriter. It'll be interesting to see what he does with the Star Wars property. Now, here's the weird part. It's directed by... Charmin Obaid Chinoy. Who most of her work has been non-scripted in documentaries. Her first foray into scripted direction was a couple of episodes of Ms. Marvel mm -hmm. over in the MCU. It'd be interesting to see where she's at. Is she ready to do that? Because that's a pretty big leap. Would you agree, Maze? It's definitely a big leap. I'm dubious about bringing Ray back, period. Okay, so let's talk about all of this stuff, right? I gave you the optimistic Star Wars fan. Oh, great stories, great storytellers, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I know is Daisy Ridley was available. Yes, eminently available. No offense to her, but she has not done anything else. The behind-the-scenes rumblings is Star Wars obviously hasn't put out a movie since Rise of Skywalker 2019. Disney bought Star Wars because it makes billions of dollars at the box office. They didn't buy Star Wars. As much as The Mandalorian helped Disney Plus and got all these shows and they're critically acclaimed or whatever, that's not a billion dollars. That's not what they bought this for, not to make some TV shows. And so there's speculation that Kathleen Kennedy is under a lot of pressure. Like her job is on the line here. You got to get some movies and you got to get some movies out now. And so the reason why a Ray movie not only is going to get made, Maze, but is probably the first one that's going to get made because they have like a tentative timeline of Q4 2025. There has to be a Star Wars movie in the theater. All of these other ones involve a lot more world building. The Dawn of the Jedi one is such a huge task. The Dave Filoni one, it's like, well, we got all the characters already preset. Should be easy, right? Except all of these storylines have to build towards that. It's like the MCU. They couldn't just jump to Infinity War. They had to build and build and build. So there's still a lot of TV left to be done before we can get to the Dave Filoni movie. So the Ray one offers familiar enough, recent enough characters, and the availability of Daisy Ridley obviously helps tremendously. The Dawn of the Jedi movie, Maze, is actually eerily similar to a movie that was in development that Taika Waititi was supposed to mm. helm. If you remember, 
they had this whole thing of like, you get a movie and the guys from Game of Thrones get a movie and Lindelof gets a movie. Kevin Feige gets a movie. They had all that, I think, at the last celebration that I went to. All of those plans went out the window, but as is the deal with a lot of Star Wars, nothing ever is really gone. It just gets repurposed one way or another. Great example, Zeborelios. He's a Lasat. He's this big, goofy-looking animal. Actually, concept art of what Wookiees were supposed to look like. They just repurposed it. So Taika Waititi's concept seems to have been taken over now by Mangold. And some people are speculating, is that partially because of Thor, Love, and Thunder and how that didn't do as well as people thought? Also, Star Wars typically eschews too much comedy, right? If you remember, Solo was originally supposed to be written and directed by the Lord and Miller team that gave us 21 Jump Street. And they stopped it mid-production due to creative differences, and that's when Ron Howard came in. Because, in part, they felt like Lord and Miller were making it too much of a joke. They were doing 21 Jump Street in Star Wars. Part of me is like, I kind of want to see what that was like. And part of me understands, if you're trying to tell the story of this revered character, Han Solo, they don't want you to fuck around too much with it. Lindelof was supposed to get the sequel to the sequel trilogy. I don't know what happened there, but it got handed to, again, this director who is fairly green in this space. She's won multiple Academy Awards as a documentarian. And then even the New Republic one, he said, oh, it's Polonia. I mean, that one's got to be going great. It's curious, Maze. No mention of Favreau. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, though, right? Not even as a producer, not even as a writer. If Favreau were involved on this particular project, we would have had them both. This thing is going to be written and directed by Favreau and Filoni. I get that, though, because we've talked about it. The Mandalorian is the flagship, and while Filoni is heavily involved, it is created by Favreau and most of the episodes written exclusively by Favreau. But there's another part of this, because there have been rumors, even before Star Wars Celebration, that Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy have had a falling out, in part over her trying to dictate to him creatively how things should go in the Mandalorian universe. So there's a lot of palace intrigue going on there behind this announcement that's supposed to reassure the stockholders and reassure the fans, Star Wars in the movie theater back and better than ever. It's not quite as clean. Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy, something that makes me smile, something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Oh my gosh. Folks, gather around. Everyone gather around. Listen to these words. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers, listen to me. You bet just five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, enough chatter about Star Wars Celebration. Let's talk about this week's Mandalorian Chapter 23, The Spies. Episode seven of this season, the penultimate. Let's get into it. Shout out to the Mandalorian. You got me back. It's an abusive relationship, Maze. It is what it is, right? They have all these toxic behaviors, and I say, I'm done. And then they bring flowers. Look, we didn't say we're done. Like, that's not the thing. I'm not done on this. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. We're saying do better. Yes. We know what you're capable of. Give us more of what we want instead of things that we don't want. And they gave us exactly what we wanted. We're in the underworld of Coruscant. We've seen this in Attack of the Clones. We've seen this in... Blade Runner. Blade Runner. <laughs> We've seen this in Andor. We've seen this in Bad Batch. We've seen this in Clone Wars. Everyone rich and famous and beautiful lives above ground in the Jedi. They live above ground. And all the pieces of shit with the slick back hair, Ciccolini's, that all happens underground. And... Elia Kane is walking around and looking shady as shit. She meets with a probe droid. And Maze, I don't know if you got this feeling. I was like, I never knew they were that big. No, I definitely knew they were big. Absolutely. It's always in perspective. You see it off there. But like, it's the first time I've seen a person stand near a probe droid. Because even on Fallen Order on the video game, they don't look like that. By the way, I'll leave it till next week. Holy the stuff that's coming out on Jedi Survivor. Insane. But anyways, the probe droid delivers a FaceTime with Moff Gideon. She has to give her TK number in order to access this interface. TK number, of course, we saw that in the original movie. That's Stormtrooper slash Imperial Officer designation. Much like the clones have their CT number, CT5555, for example. And she gives her TK number. Telling Gideon, she's debriefing, telling him the pirates on Navarro were unsuccessful, so now we know the Empire was behind the pirate attack. Mm -hmm. Gideon says, how's that possible? You assured me the New Republic wouldn't intervene. Was we saw her cock block on Carson Tiva with Colonel Ladies Man. And she reveals them because of the Mandalorians. And he said, I thought they were beefing. And she's like, nope, they're all together. And they came and they fought. He seems to genuinely react with surprise here. Yes. That they are united, which is important because this episode is called The Spies. Obviously, Elia Kane is a spy. A spy. And we will discuss who the potential other spy or spies are. From there, Gideon walks down a hallway with the laser barriers. Oh, man. Loved it. 10-year-old maze or however old you were. It's so unnecessary to have these laser gates up, just like in Duel of the Fates, the Darth Maul fight with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. But he has a heavily secured conference room. He's got the laser gates. He's got troopers with the new fancy-schmancy Mando-inspired armor. And we also passed some clone tanks, I mean. These are all things that we've seen from Moff Gideon's base, but never known where it was. I think we now know that it is on Mandalore. Yes. It's on Mandalore, and that's part of why they spread those rumors about it being toxic and stuff to keep the Mandalorians away. As he walks into the conference room, we see everyone is hollowed in. It reminded me of Captain America Winter Soldier. If you remember Robert Redford's character and all the other world leaders or whatever, conferencing in like that. Captain Puleon, or as I'm calling him, Captain Paella is preaching caution. He's played by Xander Berkeley, I mean, who is the policeman from Barbed Wire. He was also on Rebels. Obviously, he's Thrawn's right-hand man. And we're getting this bit of exposition maze, and I love this. said, the New Republic is vulnerable, but we must be cautious and show no sign of our new strength. And then a couple minutes later, we get, if we are perceived as anything other than a group of unorganized remnant warlords, the New Republic will increase their efforts to hunt us down. So now we know that what was presented to us all throughout the Mandalorian is, that, oh, there's some warlords that just still got their battalions and aren't letting go to this idea of an empire. That's all false. The reality is, 
they all are organized and they're basically regrouping. Maze, I don't know if you saw this or you got the same vibe. It is literally the exact same thing the Rebellion did in Andor Mm -hmm. and in Rebels. Totally. They're all separate factions and at some point they're not. This is a concerted effort, but the enemy thinks it is, thinks it's just pockets of insurgency. And so they're pulling the same playbook on the New Republic, thus once again demonstrating why the New Republic fell. Because you guys literally fell for the same upfake that you just hit them with. You just did the fake dribble handoff 30 years ago, and now you're going to fall for it again? Yeah, and it also indicates how whoever is in power is susceptible to being usurped and this constant back and forth. But I did like that. Yes, the shadow council must remain in the shadows, keep it low profile. Other people in the shadow council want to rally those loyal to the empire. They say that there's people on every planet in the galaxy that are ready to support their cause. This is real and not meaning there are evil people on every planet. There are people who long for the days of the order of the empire. If you were just on a low-level person, the Empire was pretty good. We saw this in Tales of the Jedi when Ahsoka is kind of going through the countryside and interacting with people. And the one kid is like, I don't know why everyone's making a big deal out of the Empire. This is great. It's safe and secure, whatever. It's not unlike Maze, what some Iraqi citizens said after the fall of Saddam. It's like, man, kind of liked it better when Saddam was around because things weren't blowing up every day. There was some measure of security albeit at the price of freedom. Paella brings up Grand Admiral Thrawn's return, and then he gestures to Commandant Hux and references Project Necromancer. Necromancer. So this is Brendal Hux, who is played by Brian Gleason of oh, Bad shit. Sisters, and this is the real-life brother of Donald Gleason, How about that? who played Brendal's son, Armitage, in the latest trilogy. I love this stunt casting. I mean... I loved it, too. I did not know that part. I knew, obviously, who it was, but that's awesome. They're both the sons of Brendan Gleason, who was just in Banshees of Inisherin. All the Gleasons cutting it up. Thrawn here is presented as this is the guy who's going to bring this whole thing together. And that was one thing we neglected to mention in the Ahsoka trailer breakdown earlier is the line from Ahsoka, Thrawn has returned and deigns to be the heir of the Empire. And that is a direct quote from a book written by Timothy Zahn who created the Thrawn character called Heir to the Empire. Like the idea that after Return of the Jedi, this guy took over for the Imperial forces and, and basically became the leader of that. So we see that's what's happening here. But we also hear about this Project Necromancer. And you say, what's Project Necromancer? We get some little bureaucracy infighting between everybody. Gideon says, you guys keep talking about this Thrawn guy. I ain't seen no Thrawn. Paella says, no, we have to keep it secret. That's the key to our success. And Gideon says, oh, I traffic in secrets, which I love. And I haven't even heard a whisper of this Thrawn character. Maybe we need some new leadership. And they start bickering and arguing and something about cloning. And he says, look, I'm not the one who's cloning. Hux, that's your wheelhouse. My shit is over here. Of course, we know that, in the words of Maury Povich, to also be a lie. Yeah. Because he is doing cloning. But now, Maze, it's like, well, if Hux is doing the how do we get Palpatine back, which is what Project Necromancer is. Almost certainly. Then what the f*** is this guy cloning? Yeah, this is really interesting how they're making this delineation because Hux is asking about Pershing and says that Gideon promised them research. And so this is probably why he mind flayed Pershing. Right. Is to keep Pershing from falling into the hands of Hux. Does this mean that Gideon doesn't have a Pershing clone or that this was a Pershing clone, not necessarily, but probably. But we do know, I mean, that in season two, when we went to Gideon's base on Navarro and they had the clone tanks there, it really seemed like those were Snoke prototypes. Yes. So they're apparently separating the Snoke research from the Palpatine research here. Except Palpatine says in Rise of Skywalker... Snoke was my creation. Every voice you've ever heard, he says it's Kylo Ren, has been my own. And as he's saying it, his voice changes from his to Snoke's. So I don't know. That's very curious. It's not clear what's going on here. 
or how it will play out. Maybe they will combine down the line. At the very least, I give Filoni and Favreau the benefit of that. Like, oh, okay, this is like a mini film noir. And it makes the story more textured. I don't think this is an oversight like they were lazy and they forgot. No, certainly not. I think it just adds a wrinkle to it. Also, it doesn't seem like the clone tanks that Gideon has in this current base is for Snoke stuff. He's up to some other stuff, which comes into play with the line later in the episode where he's trying to combine all of the technology of all the cultures. Yes, absolutely. Gideon's talking about you guys are hogging all the resources, Hux and Paella. I need some shit, too. We received your request. Three Praetorian Guards. And bombers and more TIE interceptors. Is someone scared of an assassination attempt? Paella says in a very sarcastic voice. I love this line. And he thinks I'm the flashy one. Mm -hmm. I love Star Wars bureaucracy. I love it. I don't know why. I don't expect anyone else. If you guys find this boring, I don't blame you. But I love all of these glimpses of middle management, people bickering, infighting over resources. They're just like us, right? That's what I always think about. And Giancarlo Esposito is having so much fun in this scene. Yes, he's killing it. So he says, yeah, they're trying to kill me. The Mandalorians, they all got together. Mm -hmm. Maze, that's when I awarded an ass off for all the gasps Ooh. when he says Mandalorian. Oh, God, I'm a Oh, no. This is how you do murmuring. Favreau and Filoni, not the bullshit you gave us with the talking stick a couple episodes ago. This is grade A, like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, oh, shit. And so they're pretty unanimous on this. Whatever you need, we'll give you all of your requests. And then Giancarlo says, we shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire. And that's how you do a cold open, folks. And let's get a chant going, too. Everyone loves a good chant. I wonder who the last person to say long live the Empire after everybody stopped was and how awkward they felt. We're on Navarro and Grief Karga's dumbass droid thinks they're being invaded. Yep. Karga has to say, look at the bottom of the ship. And you see the massive Mythosaurus skull on the underside of this Imperial cruiser. How much paint did they use to do that? How long did it take? Not my question. My question is, how'd they paint it? Do they have it hover six feet above the planet's surface? We're both asking logistical questions about this. That's a lot of work to do that. A lot of work and not easy. I mean, those afterburners, man. How do they hover? Because we don't have any jets underneath. And so I just decided at that point, maybe she just let this go. Yep. Let's not ask too many questions. Let's just move on. I do love how big it is and it's slowly passing overhead. It's bigger than the entirety of this Navarro city. It's a very cool shot. Very cool shot of all the Mandos coming in. We have a meeting of the Mandos. Grogu is sitting on Bo-Katan's lap. She hopes everybody is going to get along. And yes, they come face to face. Or should I say face to helmet? Has Vizsla and the Children of the Watch with Bo's squadron. There's a lot of tension until the armor clangs her tools together and says to prepare a feast. And that's when we get... Hi, Magistrate Grief Karga, greeting Din with an amazing chuckle. Mando! <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. Welcome back. Mando! It's not the full-on Mando this time. It's more restrained and then the chuckle. <laughs> and then I wanted this so badly to be his own signature tequila, I mean. Oh, no, I like that he got it from Coruscant to show that it's the good shit. Top shelf shit. And then tells him, you might want to wait for a smaller gathering. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's something delightfully provincial about Grief Karga that I love. I mentioned this a little bit, the episode with the pirates, when the droid says, should we get the payment ready? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, we're a legitimate thing now. And it's like, oh, oh, I got your escape shuttle ready. Everything about him is like a small time guy who's come up a little bit, but not all the way, right? Mm -hmm. I've come up enough to have fancy things for Coruscant, but also like only got one of these. Yep. He didn't realize how many Mandalorians are, <laughs> are at this hookout now. So he says, I got another gift for you. And he shows him an IG is operational now, but instead of IG-11, it's IG-12. As we see a little Anzel, and those are the droid working aliens mm -hmm. that we saw in Rise of Skywalker and we saw earlier this season. He's operating it like Avatar. Stripped down to his base motor functions, removed his memory circuit. Now it's more like a vehicle. I mean, top five vehicles coming soon to Cinephobe. And he operates it and it comes out and they put baby Grogu in there. We get a path crossing with the Anzel. Bad baby. No squeezy. Yeah. Your favorite. Yeah, they put the baby in there and the baby does the thing. I don't know if you've ever seen this maze on 
TikTok or Instagram. These people have dogs and they have these soundboard on the floor. The dog talks through the soundboard. Pre-recorded sounds are like, no, yes, hungry, want to go outside, squirrel, lizard. The dogs will walk up and it'd be like, outside, outside, squirrel, outside, outside, squirrel, outside, outside. And like, you want to go outside? And then it'll hit, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. So that was very similar. It's this moment where finally this creature gets to communicate back. Because the whole time they talk to Grogu, but just by action, they know whether he gets it or not. And so he's got a yes and a no button. That plays Taika's droid voice from his kangaroo control pouch. Din says, I don't like this. She come out and the kid says, no. Yep. <laughs> no, 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 no. Din is being very paternalistic, you might say, because he thinks that Grogu's too young to operate heavy machinery. But Grogu is a button mashing fiend. Yes, they walk yes, through the yes. market. He walks straight up to a fruit stand. The, the him hitting yes over and over again made me laugh. Yeah. Like at first I was like, oh, I get it. Ha, 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 baby Grogu in there. No, yes, everyone swoons. But then it's the next scene and he's just mashing. Yes, 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 yes. I laughed. I'm like, okay, that's pretty funny. Part of it is like, he's obviously very happy to be mobile and an eye level with everyone else. And part of it is Din is like, Jesus Christ. It's like when your kid gets a new toy. Yeah. Plus it's a car essentially with special powers because he's eating from the fruit stand, whatever he wants. Din is paying for it with the coins. Then he grabs a Mailerune, plays keep away. He squashes it because he doesn't know his own strength. And then Din, in the most fed up dad voice ever, this isn't working for me. Cut to Bo-Katan giving us game plan exposition. She's so good at this. During the cookout. Now, Amin, I haven't seen anyone comment on this, but. Are those the raptor babies that they're cooking on the spit? I did not notice. Is that why they kept those things to cook them? Makes a lot more sense than like, we're going to ride this thing. It's very funny to me because it's a big chicken looking thing with a long neck. So I think it's got to be those creatures, but there's only two of them. So that means that there's one left. Yep. <laughs> I wonder if that will come back into play. Yes, Bo-Katan is given the game plan meeting. Ask for volunteers. No one says anything. Then Din volunteers. Don't know why it took him so long. I would have thought he would jump right to it. I am Spartacus. And then Costco does it. The armor. Run through the six with axe woves. The armor. Pass. Literally everybody we know. They fly to Mandalore. The rest of the fleet stays in orbit. They land. They're clearing the perimeter. And then they're approached by a land boat that uses sails. And it's a bunch of Mandalorian survivors, and they're very hungry, and they're led by Charles Parnell, who's Warlock from Top Gun Maverick, and Charles Baker, who's Skinny Pete from Breaking Bad. I did enjoy this brief dialogue right before the drop over Mandalore, where Paz says it's worse than I thought, and Axe says I was here when it happened. Mm -hmm. Thus further enforcing, look, the children of the watch act like we do it the way the originals are, but... The reality is they weren't on Mandalore. They were on the moon of Concordia. Axe is giving them the, you guys give a shit about taking our helmets off, but we were here when this shit went down. Yeah, they do a good job of continuing to enforce the differences between these two factions, especially with these two characters. Is that the voice of the lady Bo-Katan Kreese? And for some reason, I thought of Monty Python and them being on the, the turret yelling down mm -hmm. they all get together and they talk about they managed to survive and they never surrendered and Bo says ah that's not exactly true <laughs> reveals that she surrendered to Gideon I did surrender to save the Mandalorians and that's how he got the Darksaber and then he double crossed her the survivors look over at the armor and says are you guys Death Watch she says Death Watch exists no longer because she speaks so slowly and she led with Death Watch I thought she was confirming that, oh, they are Death Watch shit. Mm. We get this scene where Bo's standing away from everybody and Din walks up on her and she's having self-doubt and he reassures her. He doesn't care about the importance of the Darksaber or Station or Bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. 
The armorer volunteers to take the weak and wounded back to the fleet, and the survivor captain will lead Bo-Katan to the forge. Okay, I'm going to say this right now. Who do you think are the spies? I think the spies are the ones with the fleet. I think all of them are spies, actually. But So the internet thinks it's the armorer. Oh, because of the horns. Because of the horns on the helmet that matches Gideon's armor later on. Which are the mall Adorians, as they call them. Mm-hmm. The Mandalorians that served Darth Maul, they all had those horns on there, so... Might be her. I think these survivors are in on it, too. I think it's the survivors, personally. But everybody's saying it's the armor because she leaves right before they run into Moff Gideon. Also, she's the one who sent Bo-Katan to unite everybody. But that means that Gideon would have been feigning his surprise to Elia Kane for no reason. Yeah. They're on the same team, so why would he be shocked by this if he was orchestrating it? And then also, how would the armor talk to Gideon? She doesn't have a ship. She's been hanging out in the cave this whole time. That would seem like a out of left field double cross. Axe Woves also leaves, which we'll talk about in a second, but he also stole Gideon's ship, so that doesn't really line up. So yeah, I think it's the survivors because they were already there where we know that Gideon has been this entire time. Yep. Also, Skinny Pete, stunt casting, Breaking Bad, Gus Fring. That's my theory. Cut to Axe and Paz playing Mendo Chess on the pirate ship. He tries to do a move that's not allowed. They're playing house rules here. Yeah, they're arguing about rules. What do they play on Concordia, man? Axe says these primitives make up their own rules for everything. That's a real condescending thing to say. Mm -hmm. So we get a fight. They start fighting. Paz basically tells Axe either submit, give up in the game, or fight. And so they fight, and Grogu stops them because, Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? No, 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 no. Bo says, you taught him well. You taught your apprentice well. And Din says, he didn't learn that from me. And that's the second time they've gone to that well. I don't think that that's really as much Jedi influences Grogu having a new toy and new power and doing it on his own. That's my guess. I don't think Luke is teaching him to be a pacifist. So they're going, they're going, they go, oh, what's this huge animal that comes out from underground? Is it the mythosaur? No, it's just some other animal. It's a stegosaur because it's got a big tail with a mace on it and they all have to bail out of the ship with their jetpacks run underground. It's the Great Forge, the former heart of their civilization. And some imps show up with jetpacks and Beskar armor. And I thought of Finn saying, they can fly now. And Poe Dameron saying, they can fly now. That's in Rise of Skywalker, even though you know, they could fly for quite a while. Axe bails out through the gap in the ceiling. There's a firefight and they chase the retreating imps into a secret base. Din, of course, is ahead of everybody else. Blast doors separate most of the mandos behind them. They wrap Din up with fiber cord whips and then Gideon lands in his fourth generation dark trooper armor made out of Beskar alloy. He says that Mandalore will live on in him. Every society has something to offer the cloners, the Jedi, and even the Mandalorians. By aggregating the best of each, I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. So his dark troopers are supposed to be force sensitive. That's where the cloning comes in. That's where Grogu's blood came in. The high M count, shout out to Dr. Pershing, because he wants to create an army of Force-sensitive Beskar-clad clones, soldiers. Are we to assume that all of these troopers are clones that we're fighting here, or is this just his super-select unit? I think it's super-select unit. I don't think they've gotten to the place where the cloning has been. They haven't cracked it yet, and they're definitely not Force-sensitive, obviously. Yeah. So they're still working on that. He also tells her, why don't you surrender? Give back that Darksaber to his rightful owner. I said, ooh, you are evil, aren't you? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like someone who used to hook up with someone. And then they see him and they're like, why don't you just come over here and suck my dick one last time? Or whatever. Like, oh, man. <laughs> you could tell that, that got Bo-Katan really upset. And so then they just start blasting on the blast doors. and like, what good is that doing? Yeah, it's a distraction, I guess, so that Bo can cut an escape hole with the Darksaber. Paz really showboating here, insists on staying behind to hold everybody off. Opens the door and literally busts everybody's ass. I was pretty surprised that he survived all of those Beskar-clad troopers, which, by the way, Beskar on Beskar crime. How does anyone get killed? Well, But apparently, I guess enough, enough hits will take it down. Also... 
presumable that the Imperial Beskar armor is not as good. Not as high quality. I saw some stuff saying that maybe they don't know to add the living waters to the recipe, something like that. Ah, yes. That's a good point. And it's an alloy, so whatever it is, it's not as effective. Yes, Paz goes beast mode, his minigun overheats, he takes out all of the imp jetpack troopers, but then... The Praetorian Guard come in. We remember these guys from Return of the Jedi in the throne room. They just kind of stood there, didn't do shit. Return of the Jedi, they were Imperial Guards. These are kind of a spin-off. These are the ones from Last Jedi. Oh, yes. Snoke's throne room with the pretty epic Kylo and Rey fight. They fight, and they're really good at fighting. And at first, I was like, do they have Beskar penetrating weapons? Because they seem to stab them right in the chest. And then it was pointed out to me that no... There's gaps in the armor for flexibility. So mm-hmm. in, in your armpit, in your neck or whatever. And that's where they stabbed them. R.I.P. Paz Vizsla. You were a douchebag from beginning to end. R.I.P. <laughs> you were a noble sacrifice, but at least you went out in glorious combat. Glorious bastard. And that's your cliffhanger ending. One last episode, Maze. What do you expect? Grogu and Bo are going to have to lead this rescue mission. It was curious that they took Din captive. I mean, they want Grogu, so I guess that's the only reason that they're taking him. We'll find out who the spy is. I guess my only real question for you is, does Moff Gideon survive another season? Or, or is this it? No, I think he does. I think he does, and I also think I got a prediction for episode eight. So you remember season two, episode eight. We got a stinger after the credits. Mm-hmm. Remember what the stinger was? Oh, we're going and sitting on the throne in Jabba's palace. I believe we're going to get Thrawn in a stinger. That would make sense. That would track. It'll definitely be something connected to Ahsoka. Do you think there will be any other returning guest appearances? Hopefully not Lizzo. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say <laughs> that Plazier 15 will... Stay on Plazier 15. But, like, is Ahsoka going to come back? Is Boba going to come back? No. I think it's just a Thrawn thing. And if there is, then next week I'll get a little bit more detailed about Thrawn and who he is. But that's going to do it for us here on Rule of Two. Next week is going to be the last episode of Mandalorian. Will it be the last episode of Rule of Two? I don't know. It depends on how many loose ends we have. But until next time, I want to remind everybody that... Every society has something to offer. Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy. Something that makes me smile. Something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.